welcome to She Wrote That. Here, our goal is to uplift hardworking female writers, bloggers, authors, journalists, and storytellers. Each episode will feature a conversation with a different female writer where we dig deep about everything writing related, from being a woman in the industry, to developing stories, to editing style, to mentorship. We are so excited to have you here. Welcome back for our second episode. I'm your host, Charlotte Barnes. Before we begin, I wanted to thank everyone who listened to the first episode and heard my conversation with Heather Motro. I appreciate everyone's support, and I'm so excited to be back this week with episode two. Today, I'm talking with journalist Lynn Dowling. Lynn is a native of Northern New Jersey and a product of Marquette University College of Journalism. Having been a Sunday and food editor at Knight Ritter's Boca Raton News, she was executive editor of a chain of weeklies in South Florida, associate sports editor of the Hollywood Sun-Tatler, and later associate editor for a chain of trade magazines. Her first story for Florida Today was published in 1988. She has covered government, health, travel, theater, real estate and construction, sports, and food since that time. After battling way too many technical difficulties, Lynn and I discussed everything from creating positive social media spaces to journalism's role in the fight against misinformation to the reason why writers, journalists especially, should read academic journals. Stay tuned to hear our discussion. My first question is, so tell me about how you first got into journalism. I have been paid for writing since I was 15 years old. I um, was, uh, was I did the things that people normally do when they're in high school, was on the high school newspaper, that sort of thing. But um, there were some events that were going around in, in the community where I lived in northern New Jersey. And I was paid for, for covering them. And then eventually, um, the local newspaper, the Patterson Evening News, paid me to do a roundup of high school information of local high schools. So so I got paid for that. And um, I majored in journalism at Marquette University and did, did a little bit of work there. I was more involved in politics than I was in journalism there. And then um, um, I was going to be an army journalist but I but that didn't happen so I, uh, I went to work for various newspapers I've worked for Knight Ritter worked for Scripps Howard and now for all intents and purposes I write for Gannett so that's me that is so cool that you got paid in high school I can't even imagine getting paid as a high school journalist today oh I did it was it was um you know newspapers were much more extensive and much more inclusive because they had more space then. Mm-hmm. Um, our daily newspaper, our evening newspaper, was, was a multi-hundred page publication. And um, it, it allowed the space for high school and collegiate reporters. I couldn't write one after I went to college because I was in Milwaukee and they wanted the information from the local schools. Um, it, so it, it had no it had no meaning to me, and I had no meaning to them. So um, so that stopped then. But but they they managed to cover it all. There was there's so much more coverage then. We we miss that. We miss local coverage on that level. 
um, our newspaper never missed um, a, a city council meeting or a school board meeting of any of the small local municipalities. And there, municipalities were responsible for all forms of government, including schools, including budgets. There wasn't this very strong county government that we have in the state of Florida. So it was very difficult to cover every everything. So I did a couple of school board meetings. I covered a couple of school board meetings for the newspaper before I was out of high school because we needed people across Passaic County, New Jersey. So um, it, it, it makes me sad to think that it's gotten so small that newspapers have gotten so small. And it makes me sad to think that we don't have the space to cover everybody all the time. Really makes me sad. Um, because even online, it's not being done as it should be, in my opinion. So, Yeah, definitely. It definitely sounds very different today. I think it's very different. Yeah, my one thing we say in my high school journalism class, my teacher would always tell us that today local news just couldn't get to everything so whatever we could do locally and put in our high school paper he encouraged us to do that and fill in the gaps absolutely right absolutely right absolutely right um and and it clearly taught you the right way of doing things too because look newspapers as a as a genre should have been involved online long and in social media long before they picked up the ball. They dropped Mm -hmm. it, dropped it at the very beginning. And the reason that it becomes so painful for us is that there's so much unverified, non-objective news flying around, regardless of what our, our, our political or social stances were, regardless of, of how we felt about something. It was our responsibility at the time that I was educated to be objective, always. And it's pretty poor when you see that in high school and collegiate journalism, but you don't see it on the larger scale. Everyone is a, is a, a spokesman for something. So there's that. <laughs> Do you think that social media has contributed to that non-objectivity today? I think it has to some degree, but a, a lot of it has to do with a lot of it has to do with money. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that um, CNN or Fox or, or MSNBC would be as advocatory as they are if money weren't involved, if they weren't playing to a specific crowd. Newspapers mm-hmm. in their day never played to a specific crowd. They played to everyone. Mm-hmm. And we've sort of dropped that. We've dropped that ball in a big way. We, we've, it, we've just done a terrible job of it. If we had been in it at the beginning, we would have set a precedent of objective coverage. Um, instead, we have the advocates. So hopefully, hopefully we can get back to it. Hopefully at some point people will say, wait a minute, prove that. When they hear anything from a rumor about their favorite entertainer to something going on that just sounds absurd on, on the political arena, hopefully we can we can do something about that. Um, mm-hmm. I would I would like that to happen. I would like that. I'd like to see that before I leave the practice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I always say that when I see news 
news it looks like news flying around facebook but i think mm-hmm. coming from a journalistic background you tend to question things a little bit more than if you're just scrolling through social media every day and not coming from that background yes you do yes you do i i i have my my left hand on the florida city group and my right hand on snopes <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh um yeah, how many times can it, can a child be missing? This child was found in January of 2012. Stop. <laughs> I know. My dad said he saw something on Facebook yesterday that said Fauci was advocating for stay-at-home orders again. He looked at the date, and it was from April 2nd. And he was like, why are people yes. posting this in June? Uh, it, 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 I've had these conversations with your dad. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And I'll bet your mother has some nice things to say about it too <laughs> um it, it just it, it is absurd it is absolutely we they don't look there's there's a everyone reads online everyone is online we should be producing right now the most mm-hmm. literate group of people ever mm-hmm. because so many people speak with their fingers now everybody's a writer yeah <laughs> it started with email and continues through text mm-hmm. hi 40s um, but we don't do that because we see the first line and we forget the rest of it. Yeah. We don't bother to read the story. We read the headline or, or the jump line or the, or the, the tag or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So, and that's odd. Having said all that, I'm all over social media. I'm, I moderate a, a Florida Today Facebook group with almost 23,000 people in it. So, um, it can be it's it can be interesting. Sometimes you feel like you're lecturing people, and that's sad. But yeah, yeah. I was going to yeah. ask you about three, two, one flavor. How did that get started? Three, two, one flavor was started by Susie Fleming. Um, she um, was she is good friends with a with a journalist, a well known food journalist now at the Washington Post named Ann Maloney, mm-hmm. and they had discussed things like this years ago. And there was a there was a food site in New Orleans that went on Nola Eats, and Susie looked at that and said, "Hey, we can do that here." Wrote me a note one night and said, "If if we do this, can you help?" Said, Hell yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> of course I can help. Of course. So um, it 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 didn't come out as a as a fiat from Florida Today. It was just a local idea that she had. Nobody's. Nobody's getting rich off it. We'll leave it at that. Nobody's getting rich off of it. Um, it's just, it's just what we do to try to get people more engaged. And food, because she's a food writer. I'm the food critic at Florida today, and have been for I don't even know how many years now. <laughs> um, we we both write about have written about it extensively. I used to edit a food publication, um, and we. We thought it would be a good place for people to get away from all the other stuff, which is why we go crazy when we see politics up there or <laughs> really, really serious social debates or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that that's how three to one came about, and clearly other people think the same because because they just keep. I I approved thirty two new members this morning. Wow. Um, we get, we get requests from all over the world. We got a request from someone named Jojo in Brazil this morning. 
Of course, JoJo is a spammer, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> They're still from Brazil. <laughs> and with so many members, do you think it's still remained that place for positive discourse and just talking about food? It better be a place for positive discourse. <laughs> I'm leaving. No, we, we, it's carefully moderated. Mm-hmm. A lot of sites are not, a lot of sites, a lot of pages, a lot of groups are not carefully moderated. Um, we have three people who are involved in the moderation of the food group. Susie is, is the boss. It's her group. She founded it. She started it. She took the risk with Gannett on it. Um, Rob Landers, who is um, an AV producer who I intend to call immediately when we're finished here. I'm going to scream, I'm going to fix my computer. <laughs> um, he does TV and, mm-hmm. and podcasts and that sort of thing. We'd love to put together, I, I would love to put together a podcast for the group. I don't know why we're not doing it. That's where the future is. Um, but, uh, and then there's me, and I'm, I'm still a freelancer. Um, and, and and I moderate. So I'm the one who's probably on there as much as anyone. And Susie has the last say in all matters. So mm-hmm. um, we have certain, there are certain words that are prohibited. There are certain terms, expressions that are prohibited. I think cheesesteak is going right back to the top of the list again this morning. <laughs> oh it was God. insane last night. Um, but um, for a while, we we disallowed discussion of masks because it always deteriorated into a political conversation. We do not want political conversations or advertising on this group. You can offer to pay us the world, and it won't be there. That's good. So it, we just it just is not going to be there. We are not going to be advocates for anyone, mm-hmm. except maybe clean food, good food. Yeah. (laughs) Clean restaurants, no rats, that kind of stuff. (laughs) I hope that's not political. I hope that's something we can all agree on. I hope not either. I hope not either. I write the rat story for Florida Today, too. Oh, jeez. Which is interesting because they're not coming forth as often as they formerly did with so many restaurants having closed. Uh, Do you just remove people when they get rude or get political? If they get rude or political, I take the post down, and if it goes on, I I warn them, and if they start it up again, they're gone. So three strikes, you're out. Three strikes, you're out. <laughs> That's a fair rule. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it it just doesn't. Some of them, some of them kind of wander into it by mistake, or mm-hmm. they'll. You know, they'll be talking about something and they'll say yes, but if somebody hadn't voted for something, oh, stop. <laughs> or, but last night we had this whole Trump versus Biden thing that went on. Well, I happen to be asleep and I don't know how many posts I took down this morning. I can't even count. But it's our belief that at least in this corner of, of Florida Today's online efforts, things need to be moderated carefully because this is an escape route. This is, I don't think, I suspect that um, coronavirus questions answers the other Facebook group that Florida Today has, mm-hmm. one of the other Facebook groups that Florida Today has, is this carefully or this um, tightly monitored um, and, and 
<laughs> people thrown out left and right <laughs> or comments thrown out left and right but that's that's a different thing that's intentionally political or or you know political in the greater sense not just democrats versus republicans but political in the greater sense we just don't want to do that we don't we also don't like to prolong arguments we had um, a prolonged argument uh, that started about a year and a half ago and went to about a year ago about cheesesteaks. <laughs> if you want to, I'm telling you, if you want to get Brevardians in a fistfight, have cheesesteaks. We had people going to people's places of employment. We had threats. Oh, we had stuff like that because of cheesesteaks. And I think it started because I went to a restaurant, did not give a cheesesteak restaurant five stars. That is just um, so bizarre. <laughs> there are two restaurants in Brevard County that I've ever given five stars to. One is Cafe Margot and the other is Heidelberg. Mm -hmm. You figure out the rest. Cheesesteaks. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? So I tried to explain to the guy he didn't want to know. I deserve five stars. Okay. Whatever. That's fine. That's good. I'm, yeah, I'm not offended. That's fine. Well, then change it. No, I can't. Um... But it, this this thing went on and on and on. Finally, we made cheesesteaks a, um, a a key word, so that every time that word pops up, somebody gets an alarm in their ear. <laughs> you would think, right? You would think it's it's has something to do with manners or paying. Another thing is tipping. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! What we see about tipping, it's it's just it will really get people going um we'll get notes about it after hours we'll get people who have our emails or our phone numbers will call us what, what what is this what's wrong with you hey look we stopped the discussion there's no there's no final answer some people like to tip a lot some people don't mm -hmm. some people are cheap um we can't help that that's just the way they are the way they were raised the way they think people should be treated whatever some people are way generous and probably start bad precedent but it is as it is and we stopped it so so we keep very very careful track of of, of um, tipping arguments because invariably they are arguments mm -hmm. um and there's that and meanwhile we all still write we get paid to write feature story i get paid to write feature stories for florida today mm -hmm. Um, Susie gets paid to be the de facto food editor, and Rob gets paid to be um, the media guy. So that's that's where we are, um, and and there's still something to be said for writing. Mm -hmm. There's something to be said for typing on your keyboard is permanent. You, the good thing, the good thing about it is philosophically, the good thing about it is you always can go back and change it if you've written it, because if you've said it, it sounds in someone's ear, and if, for example, you've insulted someone, it's difficult to take that back because they heard it the first time. If you write something and you haven't published it, you can always go back and soften it, um, or or make it rougher. So. Mm -hmm. There's that good part about writing, I, you know, good for Facebook. I can edit on Facebook as opposed to Twitter and some other places. And yeah. 
Insta makes it hard to edit, but at least you can edit on Facebook. Yeah, today, journalism isn't really necessarily a male-dominated field. Do you think it's always been like that? I think um, it, it hasn't always been male-dominated. One of the most famous journalists of the, of the 19th century was Nellie Bly, early 20th century was Nellie Bly. Mm -hmm. She definitely was a female. Um, I think... I think there's a certain air associated with journalism of another era, the sort of smoky back rooms, lots of gin, and uh, running around trying to be deadlines, you know, see the play, the front page. But women have been involved to some extent all along. Now it's just second nature for us to be there. Florida Today is edited by a woman. Mara Bellaby, who's also really interesting, by the way. Uh, but I think there, there's there's always been room for women. The problem is that when I came into it, if you were a female and you had a job with a newspaper, and you 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 know you had your degree and you had all the, the stuff that you needed, they invariably made you the style editor, the fashion editor, the Sunday mm -hmm. editor. Which in my case was fine because I, the Sunday editor meant food and I like to write about food. Mm -hmm. But if they think the only thing you can do is essentially write society gossip, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. And time and economics uh, contrived to end that because uh, there was no room for those society pages anymore. Those pages went by and large to magazines, to monthly magazines. And and, and we didn't have, we don't have, to the same extent that we did, the Roanoke Reviewer, which is the parade magazine, and the other magazines that were that were sent out every set, every Sunday that a lot of women wrote in. So, hey, here I am at your city commission meeting, and um, you know, making myself a pain in the neck when someone offers to put down a surface that allows wheelchairs to come onto the beach, but the city city council doesn't want to talk about it because, wow, 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 ask your dad. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so we, we, we do whatever we're asked to do now. I, do, I don't mm -hmm. care. They can call me tonight and say, you want to write a real estate story? No, but yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> I wrote about construction for years here and learned so much. I thought it would be horrible, hateful. I thought they're, they're trying to get rid of me. They want me to write about real estate and construction. They're going to kill me with boredom. They turn out to be so interesting. So. Yeah, you've covered so many different things from construction to now food to sports. Do you think you have a favorite topic to write about? Probably food. Probably mm -hmm. food. I, I, like, I like writing human interest features. I, I think there's a. I think most people are good, and most people are worth reading about, and most people have really good stories if if you look for them. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, so it's it's really enjoyable to write about good people. I I don't really care to write about bad people, although that happens from time to time too. Mm -hmm. Um. Subject-wise, um, food and healthcare. I like writing about healthcare because everybody everybody is interested in it. Everybody has 
as some point of view about it, everybody everybody's affected by it. Mm-hmm. So and, and that's good. Sports. I never wanted to be. I never wanted to cover the National Football League or the National Basketball Association. Never, never ever wanted to do that. Never wanted to go to the Final Four. Um, although I've I've done it. You know, you have to from time to time. Mm-hmm. I like. I lo- I loved covering running. I loved covering. Mm-hmm. Even though I was bothering your father at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I loved covering running because they're such neat people. They they run and they and they do try and they do those sports for the sake of it, mm-hmm. not for huge paydays or um, grand pronouncements or or the front cover of some unknown website. They're just good people and they're really interesting people. Loved mm-hmm. covering running. Um, I just I, every now and then I'll wake up in the middle of the night and think, oh, I, I, I'll just go to the, I'll, I'll go to the race today. That'd be good. <laughs> and then I'll think, no, COVID, no race. Oops. Yeah. Although and, fire, <sighs> the firecracker 5K is this Saturday. Yeah, it's yeah. 4th of July. Yeah. Right. Yeah. My dad yeah. is very interested to see how that goes. I think we're all very interested to see how it all goes. Yeah. I, I, um, I did not willingly give up covering um um uh, road racing uh, florida today said that people were not that interested in reading about it mm-hmm. so okay whatever that's fine I'll, I'll think of something else and i and i was you know kind of grabbed for, for food because i was already doing food mm-hmm. I, I kind of did did racing because because first because they needed it and then because I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so I don't know. I, I, mm. <laughs> this season has just been mutilated by COVID. Yeah, yeah, it definitely has. Do you think that COVID has really impacted the way you're writing stories for Florida today? It's impacted stories insofar as if I write about restaurants, I had better make sure they're open and functioning normally mm-hmm. before I tell people to go there. Um, other than that, not really, because I try to put a human touch on it. I don't want to just write about products or whatever. I know that COVID has had an impact on restaurateurs insofar as the supply chain works a little bit differently now. Mm-hmm. Things are available, things aren't available. Um, that that would not happen in a in a time not like this one. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it just it, people are people. Uh, mm-hmm. Now I have not written anything about anyone affected by directly affected by COVID, a patient. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm sure that would that would affect the story a lot, but we, we don't have anyone yet um, who has said, write about me, I'm cured or whatever. And so with your f- food stories, like you said, you're a food critic. Mm-hmm. Have you ever received, uh, we did kind of discuss this before, have you received mm-hmm. blowback for a bad review? Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea. Um, people calling, threatening, um, um, just, it, it, oh, and, and 
the worst ones though are not the ones that you that you give a bad review to but the ones that think they deserve better than they got mm-hmm. uh, you give someone a three and a half because he runs a sandwich shop that seats nine people and he wants to know why he doesn't have that five star rating <laughs> well show me the cocktails and the white tablecloths and maybe we'll talk um essentially what I try to do with, with the food critiques is um, rate them against what amounts to the breed. I, I, I do dogs. I, in my my other life, I, I'm involved with dog shows. Mm-hmm. And dogs are judged against the breed standard, which mm-hmm. I think is a great way of judging restaurants, too. You can't judge a really good pizzeria against a really fine continental dining what you can't you can't do that so i judge them all against what they should be at that level until we get to the four star part and then then all bets are off then you're either really really good or you're you know not Mm -hmm. you know not in that strata um the best one of the best things i ever got though was i got a call from Susie who said um did a review about uh, Island Pasta Grill in um, downtown Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And I got a call from Susie who said, uh, do you want me to call the owner of Island Pasta Grill back through teeth? And I said, no, I'll call her. I'll call her. I'll take my lunch. So I called her back. Said, who is this? This is Lynn Dowling, Florida Today. Oh, my God, I wanted to talk to you. You want to bet for me today. What? <laughs> Yeah, I bet my husband that our guys were goofing off on Sunday afternoons. I know they they were goofing off on Sunday afternoons, and I've never been able to prove it. You just proved it for me. You said our service was bad on Sunday afternoons, and I've been trying to get rid of these guys. And I knew they were going back there and smoking cigarettes and not doing what they should have. So we're going on a cruise. Thank you very much. <laughs> she offered me lunch, which obviously was not happening. But she was really nice. But I, oh my! I said, "Oh my goodness!" She said, "You know, I eat there all the time," and I was more afraid that somebody would recognize me than you know recognize me for that, mm-hmm. rather than rather than be angry. She said, "Oh no, I'm not angry. It happens. You, when, when when you get a review like that, you have to go back and look at yourself." And I thought, "Bro." Oh, this is the way, this is what these reviews are intended to do. Mm-hmm. And this is the way things should function. And she's very civil and very kind and very nice lady. And um, uh, we, we have three to one flavor every, every October. We do flavor month. And I called her up to interview for one of the stories of, uh, as a participant. The, the family now owns River Rocks. I said, do you remember me? She said, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um so they're not always bad. More people are, surrogates are more likely to complain. The people who dine there rather than the people who own the restaurant. Mm-hmm. They think they're doing you a huge favor. <laughs> and um, no, 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 no. So there's that. That story is so funny. <laughs> there are, there are, many others like that most people are very very good about it most restaurateurs are very decent about it their customers not so much what do you mean i never had a bad whatever there okay 
they always filled my drink my drink to the top and nobody ever didn't clean our table okay that's that's i'm glad you had a good experience that's wonderful excellent well, we'll change it take it out of there get it out of the newspaper um it was in the this is this is my favorite it was in the newspaper yesterday well get it out of there uh they run on friday and this is saturday get it out of there <laughs> okay <laughs> i think people are having a tough time distinguishing what is opinion and what is fact nowadays there's definitely that there is definitely definitely that even when you get opinion and even when you do opinion i will assume if you are being educated as a journalist mm -hmm. a modern journalist you had better be able to back it up it's mm -hmm. not my opinion for example that a cob salad has has chopped lettuce and, and, and other ingredients. A cob salad is a chopped salad and it, it has a certain it's named after Robert Cobb and it has a certain number of things that must be in the, in the salad to make it a cob salad. Therefore, if you give me a wedge, that does not equally cob salad. <laughs> That's not the definition of a cob salad. The mother sauces, which are the basis for most sauces, mm -hmm are made in a specific, each is made in a specific way, and that's the way it is defined. I'm sorry, but if you put tomato in it, it's not a hollandaise anymore. <laughs> so we have those kinds of definitions, but mm -hmm. we're less formally defined in a lot of ways on the food side. Mm -hmm. Generally, it gets back to that, that whole business of not being bothered with looking up the background or the truth. Um, there's an old there's an old saying among J school people that is there are three sides for every every story my side your side and the true side mm -hmm. and and with your work with local publications mm -hmm. what do you think is the best part of working in local news local people I've never had any desire to work for a metropolitan newspaper. Mm -hmm. I've been offered jobs at metropolitan newspapers. Naturally, when you get out of school, everyone says, oh, go to work for the Times. I've always liked community and local journalism because I think the people who who get up to read that website now or, or, or get up to read that social media now or get up to, got up to get their newspaper off the front lawn then feel vested in it. And if you do the job well, you are doing a public service. Um, I think it's public service if we present your city council or county commission meeting unvarnished mm -hmm. so that you can make up your own mind. And what we have then is, is a more informed public, a public that knows where to find goods and services better and an informed electorate so um we try we really try no that that makes a lot of sense yeah we've i've been reading florida today a lot lately the covid count has been so helpful that goes right in line with what you were saying about the informed public it's just so great having it right there and looking every single day it is it is, and we try. I'm doing the COVID restaurants, too. I, I, I have the closed restaurant list 
and I, by that I don't mean all the ones that have closed since the beginning of the emergency, but the ones that have opened and then had to close again. And I think there are 27 of them now. Jeez. And some have reopened. It's, I, I can't wait till someone seizes upon the opportunity to say, wait a minute, that restaurant closed on the 21st and reopened on the 24th. How did that happen if they were going to wait for their results to come back? The results take a minimum of five days. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So I've been poking people with that lately. Um, it, yeah, it, 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 we, hope, we hope to keep people informed. We hope to do some degree of service. And even if, if the degree of service is blowing off steam about it, as they do in the coronavirus group, mm-hmm. then maybe we've helped in that respect, too. Do you think that your social media groups have made it easier for you to connect with the local population? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Definitely. Definitely. Most of us were pretty well connected to begin with, but this is this is something something new and different. I don't know how many people I now know and socialize with, mm-hmm. live and in person, before viruses, um, who, I, who I know strictly through the group. Um, people have said, let's have a Christmas party come to my house. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of them don't, you know, either didn't care, you know, don't know what you look like and don't want to. Um, now it's become a, a very human thing for them. And I wish somebody would stop texting me. <laughs> um, so that's, you know, it's, it's, it, it's useful and very useful in that sense. I, I think it's, I think it's great. And I, and I'm sure we've gotten subscriptions because of it. Mm-hmm. I hope we've gotten advertising. Newspapers live on advertising rather than subscriptions. But yeah. I hope we've gotten advertising. Yeah. That's really good to hear. Since social media can be such a negative place, it's really good that you guys are creating that positive environment. Yeah, we don't have to. We don't. It, social media doesn't have to be the devil. I, there are people who won't join because, oh, I hate social media. I couldn't possibly go there. Um, yeah, you could. You not only could go there, but just by, by knowing people, just by exploring a greater world, you might actually get a different outlook on life. <laughs> Imagine that. You might become a little bit better educated. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. And people might recognize you, and therefore your services might be more highly valued. So we hope so. We really, really hope so. Yeah. Yeah, there are definitely some positive outcomes, and it doesn't have to be all misinformation. No, no, no. That's well. That's why we're moderated. Mm-hmm. We do, we don't want the we don't want to be a font of misinformation for these people. They've had enough of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can I can go on my own account if I want to see misinformation. <laughs> Or look at other people's accounts. Uh-huh. Another three-year-old missing, yes, in 2008. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Found within three hours, hiding in his grandmother's house. Oh. <laughs> Do you think you all have a tighter leash on 321 flavor than on the other Florida Today groups necessarily? I don't know what the other Florida Today groups 
I, I don't know what their what their management policies are, but we try to keep a fairly tight rein on it. We don't want to be censorious. We don't want to be hedged like that, huh? We don't want to be. Um, we don't want to be um, people who would be seen as um, contrary, or or and we we certainly don't want to be seen as the the, the sort of negative people who throw you off when you when you express yourself mm-hmm. but i think one of the reasons that we have the readership that we do is that we keep tight control mm-hmm. and i just can't tell you what what jennifer's uh, policy is over coronavirus questions i can't tell you what some of the other people do um some of them don't really don't really invite trouble sports can mm-hmm. People, people. When you write a sports story, people can be people can be evil. They're probably more evil about sports stories than they are about about food critiques. If you if if you have two schools in the same city, she said, not mentioning the city, and you write two stories side by side about a basketball game or a football game that happened the night before, and one gets fourteen inches and the other gets seventeen inches. Even though one won forty-one to three and the other won six nothing, mm-hmm. you will you will get complaints. You wrote less about us than you did about them. You're prejudiced in favor of them. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay, whatever. I I don't live in the city. I didn't graduate from there. I don't even. I I only know the people I've interviewed from there. So yeah. So sports can kind of engender that, but I, they, I, I'm not sure what the story is with sports and group. I haven't even checked it. I'm so busy with three, two, one that um, that it's difficult to look elsewhere. People on Twitter think I'm missing. <laughs> Twitter's great news source. Twitter, Twitter is the link capital of the world. You want to know what happens first? You go to Twitter. Yeah. Because invariably, someone will throw up a link to something that just happened. Yeah. That's where I get a lot of my news, which yeah, I do too. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of past its prime as a as a discussion site mm-hmm. and really good for links and and um, have you seen this sort of thing? So, yeah, I, I I hope it doesn't go away. There are horrible rumors circulating about Twitter, but I, I hope it doesn't go away. And it's good for, for fast comedy too. You know, if you just want to be funny about something for yeah for I... one sentence, it's good. Yeah, there's a lot of comedy on Twitter. Throw in your, throw in your comment and go away. <laughs> <laughs> Just reading some of the political comments on that website. It's, those are comedy. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I have a few questions that I'm going to ask everyone who's on my show. Okay. And the first one is, if you could go back in time to when you first began writing, what advice would you give yourself? Have a broad frame of reference and an open mind. Those are two good pieces of advice. <laughs> I think um, I think a broad frame of reference is important because sometimes the subject you thought you wanted to write about is not one that you write about. So, mm-hmm. and you might actually enjoy the thing that you didn't think you wanted to write about, like construction like construction and do you have any advice for other female writers in particular 
Um, you're never going to get rich being being a journalist, particularly being a newspaper journalist. But you really the, the, the number of people who really prosper in this field is is fairly slim. However, if it's something you really love and you're really dedicated to it and you really take it with a professional attitude, you'll do fine. I think professionalism is job one for us right now. We need to recover our professionalism wherever it's been lost. And I think female journalists can, can help show the way with that. I think female minority journalists can, really can, can, can help us in that respect by being ultra-professional in all ways. Um, and that, that's about it. That's... What do you think is the most important skill that a writer can have? Oh. I know there are so many. Well, starting with voyages in English in the fifth grade, <laughs> um, you don't necessarily have to know how to diagram a sentence, but it helps if you know there has to be a verb in it. Mm-hmm. Um, the ability to listen. Mm-hmm. You need to listen more, more than you speak. Listen first and then write. If, if you listen well enough, the lead, the lead will write itself and the story will write itself. That's great advice. It can be so hard when you first start interviewing to not just mm-hmm. stick to your questions and actually listen to what the other person's saying because you're so nervous. But I think it really makes an impact when you listen and ask questions based on what other people are saying. One of the things that you're doing very, very well in this interview is you're conversing. If you can, instead of interviewing someone, a, B, C, D, and E, thank you very much, goodbye. And I realize it's necessary in some areas. Mm-hmm. But if you can converse with someone, whatever guard they have comes down to some extent, and it becomes a human being speaking mm-hmm. rather than a microphone and a mouth. And I think that's important. Those are human beings, regardless of, regardless of how much you know they're awful. They're still human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, I think listening is, listening works very well. And so does con- conversing. Conversing is, if, if you can turn an interview into a conversation, you win. So. Yeah. Thank you. I'm trying. I think that was my biggest fear with starting a podcast is that it was just going to be all questions and I wouldn't succeed as well with asking questions based on what people are saying and conversing. Well, think about, think about the great interviewers you've seen on television through the years the really really good ones um i hate to use charlie rose because you know his, his later problems with harassment and everything mm-hmm. but it was a good interview because he let people speak he listened to them um barbara walters in her time listened to people a lot of people who who became beloved actually when he started david letterman listened to people he let people talk that's why people liked him Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I'm not sure what he does now. I, he saw, it looked like Santa Claus, but um, he, he, he was always a good listener. The people who I, I get so frustrated by newscasts where I hear someone, there's a guy on one station who's pontificating, Cuomo, there's a guy on the other station who's screaming and won't let his guests speak, Hannity. And 
that's no way to run. That, that, that's fine for them, I suppose, that they're shtick. But that's no way to run a, a, to run a news operation, I think, in my mind, mm-hmm. my opinion. So. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Are there any books that you've read that have seriously changed how you approach writing or what topics you cover? Oh, dear. That's a good question. That's a real good question. Um, um I don't know, the elements of style. <laughs> I read the AP style book. That's that's my that that's mm-hmm. the one. Yeah, in fact, my subscription is about up. I need to renew it. Um Gosh, going back years. Uh, what have I got here? I've got I had Alton Newhart's book for a while. I don't know what happened to that. Somebody borrowed it and it walked away. Um, not, you know, not especially. I, I read. I read a lot of stuff online. Mm-hmm. I read a lot of stuff from Pointer. Oh, um, yeah. From the Pointer Institute, mm-hmm. I read things from the the, the uh, journalism colleges that have really good graduate schools, like Medill. Mm-hmm. Um, I read. Uh, Publications. I, I was a member of Sigma Delta Chi, which later became the Society for Professional Journalists. So I read anything that it puts out. Um, and I, I suppose we ought to start a chapter here because someone needs to be a sort of watchdog group. So I read a lot of that, but books less now, books then, books less now than than sites and papers and um, theses. So, read a lot of theses and dissertations. That's so interesting. You learn to do, when you write about health, you learn to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in the National, I used to live in the National Institutes of Health website, not only for the information that it contained, but for the information to which it led. Mm-hmm. It was, it's sort of like Wikipedia, you know, the, the Wikipedia yeah. story may not be right, but the footnotes are really cool. <laughs> Sorry, you can go to the footnotes and see if they're telling the truth. Um, it, 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 NIH is, is is something quite similar. So, mm-hmm. um, so I, I still that that became a, a habit, and I so I still do that. I still look for dissertations and theories and and um, re- various types of reports. Yeah, yeah, that I. I wrote an academic research paper this past year, and I feel like academic writing can teach you so much because I feel like that also contributed to me questioning sources and thinking about where information Absolutely. came from, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't even I, – every time I hear COVID stories that sound funky to me, I'm, I'm, I'm in the – I'm in the in JAMA or in the Lancet or in NIH or whatever, mm-hmm. because if, if you write about a subject after a while, it kind of becomes a habit and you'd say, no, it doesn't sound right. He didn't really say that. And then you found out that someone left out a word. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really a terrible mistake and it wasn't intentional, but someone left out a word and that changed the entire, the entire, um, scope of what the person was saying or the entire meaning of what the person was saying so so yeah I, academic papers are good yeah They're very good and they require proof 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> they require research. You remember mm-hmm. that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially now because you see, it feels like every other day you see a study that comes out about COVID and you're like, this mm-hmm. is a little weird. And then you ca- you have to remember that like until it's backed up by another study or until it's peer reviewed, then you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of, t- I'm so tired of as somebody who researches all the time, I'm so tired of people expecting drugs to go on markets and answers to be had without peer research mm-hmm. and without without peer study and without peer approval. I think that's just it, it, that's no, that's not the way we do things. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you also learn when you write about medicine, which I think is appropriate to write across the scope. If I'm going to see a study about, I don't know, the efficacy of a toothpaste, mm-hmm. that study had better not be sponsored by Colgate. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's that. If if not, if if on the other hand, sometimes those corporate sponsored studies turn out some really interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we had we had one. Uh, there was a company that made disinfectant. And about a year, year and a half ago, well before COVID, it has some really interesting commentary about what makes a, a, a kitchen table truly clean. And um, it, so that was worthwhile because you read the study and then you call the author, who is Dr. Somebody or other in this case from the University of Utah. And that's how you do the story. And it was a food story about medicine, you know, having a understanding a little bit about the way medical papers are written helped. So. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know it's hard to choose, but do you think you have a favorite or a group of favorite stories that you've written? Oh, 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 that's a good question. <laughs> That's a real good question. I'm 68 years old. It goes back a ways. Um, huh. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure I could go outside and, and someone would would uh, would say, oh, it's this one or that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. I, I the food stories are good. I, I, I really enjoy writing them, but mm-hmm. I don't know if one stands out above any other. The, the, probably the one that I enjoyed most lately was an interview with Guy Fieri uh, that ran in USA Today. Mm-hmm. Our, our stories run in USAT too. So, mm-hmm. um, But it, it ran in USA Today, and I was, I was so surprised to see him as he was. I had met him years and years ago. And he was, at that time, kind of arrogant. He was the nicest, most down-to-earth, normal guy. Just a sweet, nice guy. People had to leave early. He made sure they went off with food because it was noontime from from a news conference. Um, He sat, always sat all day throwing the bologna around. Oh, my God. And those kinds of events I've, art smith has become a friend he's a, he's a personal friend that keeps saying i'm gonna come over and see you in the restaurant as soon as covid leaves you alone <laughs> he's a chef over he, he, he's a he was over chef and he was the governor chef and all that kind of stuff now oh, wow. he has a restaurant at disney springs um so i i you know I, th- th- lately that's been my favorite because 
I hope that I showed people another part of Guy Fury that isn't normally seen. They see this character who's bopping around diners, drive-ins and dives <laughs> and, and making tons of money from it. Um, I saw just a really nice middle-aged guy. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very normal guy, forgetting the haircut, forgetting the, the, the flash. He didn't look flash. It was raining. It was nasty. It was hot. And he was opening a chicken restaurant. Mm-hmm. So, so that, lately that's been my favorite. I love to write about Walt Disney World. I've covered Walt Disney World since its 10th year. Oh, wow. So that would be, um, 1980, 1981. Um, I, I really, really enjoy covering Walt Disney World. I don't get a chance to get over there as often as I formerly did, but mm-hmm. that, that's, there have been some good stories come out of there too. Um, I'd love to do a day in the life of Walt Disney World because it's just the way the place operates is fascinating. That would be so um, cool. Walt Disney has a Walt Disney World has a test kitchen, fantastic test kitchen, which is which serves as the brains of its worldwide food operations. And I love writing about that place. Oh my goodness, because it's so interesting. And the chefs are really, really open to it. And you go there and expect to spend 15 minutes and two hours later, you're still talking about different grinds of sugar. So, um, so there's that. Disney is always interesting. Nothing not interesting about Walt Disney World or the Disney company. So there's that. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And that story about Guy Fieri makes me so happy because I've been, watched so much of his show over quarantine when i was stuck at home like every night it's so good that to hear that he's astounded this person for florida today for years um he's just he's really nice he's just a nice guy he's a guy he's one of those people where you walk in you say hi he slides in the booth and you think you've known him for 10 years and has nothing to do with whether or not he's on tv he's just a warm-hearted nice guy and exactly what i didn't expect i went in there with a defensive attitude I thought, oh, crap, another star. And, well, boy, was I wrong. So. Yeah, I'll have to go back and read that story. That's a good thing. He's he's just a very, very nice guy. And he has these groupies who are mainly middle-aged women. (laughs) (laughs) When you're 50 years old, what are you doing? No, I can't wait to meet Guy. (laughs) Okay. And when people read your work... What do you hope their biggest takeaway is? I hope they're better informed. I hope that um, I hope that the stories are fair in all ways. That they're not seen as puff pieces or, or publicity generated or whatever. I, I hope that people take away an honest impression whatever their impression is. They, I hope that they form an honest impression on the basis of what they've read in that story and maybe other stories. That, that's what I hope for. I hope they, and, and as far as the, the, the feel-good stories, the, the uh, uh, profiles, I hope they go away thinking, wow, that guy's, that's, that guy's really interesting. Guy Fieri's really interesting. Or, or someone who has their local restaurant up the street, or or the doctor who also plays violin or something. Wow, I didn't know that guy was that interesting. 
and maybe they'll they'll form a better opinion of those people. I hope so. Those are some good intentions to have. I hope so. <laughs> I'd like to give a huge thank you to Lynn for taking time to speak with me on the podcast. To learn more about the show, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at She Wrote That Podcast and on Twitter at She Wrote That Pod. We are now available on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so make sure to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. That's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next episode.